those that were here for the Sunday school lesson this morning, got a lesson from Louis Giglio about the Psalms of Ascent that prepare our hearts for worship, that help us to get into the right mind frame and to, to realize both the glory of God, our, our um, smallness before him, and the redemptive work that brings us up to him, the, the work of God that makes us, as, as Jerry articulated already, that makes us worthy to come before him. The, um, my thoughts in the Sunday school took me to a song. Um, I don't know if you've heard this song by Laura Story. I won't sing it unless you're worried. <laughs> Didn't want to worry you. But I, I, I'll try and quote a little bit of it. Um, she starts out the song... Lord, I come before you. And it would be my prayer this morning for all of us. So I would pray it as a group. Lord, we come before you to honor and adore you for who you are and all that you have done. Lord, we are not worthy. Our hearts are dark and dirty. Still, somehow, you bid for us to come. And there is nothing, there is nothing There is nothing more precious, more worthy than you. May we gaze deeper. May we stay longer. Not not the length of the sermon, but in our hearts. And may we press onward to know you more. That's my prayer, that as we approach this text, that we will do that, that God will do that for us, that he will bring our hearts to him on a, a very bitter cold morning, that he'll, that he'll still um, give us the warmth of his communion. Um, just to review a little bit, we're in the book of Ruth, of course, and the story of Ruth, and that story um, is, of course, about Naomi and Elimelech, the, the couple that um, went with their two sons to Moab because of a famine. They went to the country of Moab, and then it it takes us through um, two weddings in Moab to uh, Ruth and her sister-in-law Orpah, and then three funerals of Elimelech and the two boys, uh, Chilion and Malon, and then the return back to Bethlehem. It takes us to the... Uh, events of Ruth going into the fields looking, hopefully, you know, we can find some means of existence. And she went into the fields, and the Bible says she happened into the field of Boaz. And um, the, the story continues that Boaz took notice of her. He was kind to her. His kind was so, was so obvious that it made Ruth bold enough to actually propose marriage to Boaz, a a wealthy, um, noble person in the area of Bethlehem, well-known, and yet this this, uh, woman, a stranger to that area, a foreigner, came, and because he had been so kind, I think that emboldened her to propose. Now, the end of last week's uh, message was uh, left us hanging, because Boaz actually accepted it contingently. He said, um, there, I, I am a redeemer. She used the term redeemer. You are a redeemer of us, a close redeemer in the family. Um, 
and, and he said, yes, I am, but there is one who has a prior claim on, on redeeming you and on you. So he said, I'm going to ask that person if they'll take care of you, if they will do the duty of a kinsman, well, that's fine, you'll be taken care of. If not, then I will do it. And so that's where we were left. And so at the begin, uh, at chapter 4 begins with that point in the story. And that's on page uh, 224 if you're using a pew Bible. We'll read chapter 4 up through uh, verse 17. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is none, there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate and from his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the, woman said to, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The, the word for the day um, is redeemer 
or redeem. That's the central issue that's happening in this story. So the definition of redeem, it's, it's not obscure at all. It is, it is probably what most of us think of, but just to clarify in our mind, to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. <clears throat> as, as we imagine ourselves at the city gates, the, the city gates of Bethlehem and, and um, Boaz calling together the elders for this important transaction, he's, he's making it clear that this is a very important event that he needs witnesses. This is something that should be remembered, should be recorded, and will be, will be a, an official transaction. There are two things that are happening at the, at the city gates. The, the, the one that's been referred to and that seems to be hinted at, of course, um, by, by Ruth's proposal to Boaz is the issue of a redeemer who would marry the widow and bear children, continuing the name and supporting the widow. But something else comes up, and it seems like it's the first time it's actually brought up. Boaz brings it up, and he says, um, Naomi is selling a property. So that, that takes us back to the book of uh, Leviticus. Le- the book of Leviticus in chapter 25, and, and for the sake of time, I'll, I'll try to paraphrase it. Um, in Leviticus chapter, no, I'll read it. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 25, it's on page 103 in, in your Bibles. It simply says, uh, this is uh, verse 25. If a brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. That's in the, in the middle of a very uh, long, extensive um, discourse on the issue of uh, poverty, selling property, and the redeeming of property, and eventually the, the year of Jubilee, which would happen every 50 years. And without going into a lot of detail, it's talking about real estate. It's talking about uh, uh, something of material value. It seems like the, most, the best way to make sense of this is that possibly Elimelech, while he was still in Bethlehem, before they went, because of the famine, before they went to Moab, may have sold this property, which meant it went into like a, it, it went under a mortgage or um, it was, he would get money for that and the, the use of the land would go to the buyer for a period of up to 50 years, depending on when the year of Jubilee would come. But you could earn that back or get back the use of that land previous to that by paying a redemption fee to get back what had been sold because of their poverty. I think that's the, the most likely scenario that happened to bring them to this point. So the, the, the phrase that says Naomi is selling a property is actually probably better understood as Naomi has sold a property Will you redeem it back? It seems like that's how you can put things together. Then the other part of it is not about real estate. It's about relationship. And that's found in in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And that's uh, on page 166. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 8 says, regarding the responsibility of family members of of someone who has died and left a widow, it says... um, 
if someone does not want to marry the widow, he's to say this. If he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife is to call him, his brother's wife will go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his, put, off his foot, spit in his face, and shall answer saying, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him that had his sandal pulled off. <laughs> so take that. Um, it, the, the, the picture seems to have such a connection to what happened at the gates of Bethlehem, without the spitting, of course, um, that this seems to be the reference, that this is the relational side of it. And what the one redeemer who had a prior claim on Ruth or Naomi's property had said was, I do want the real estate, but I don't want the relationship. Um, and so if, if getting the real estate requires a relationship, I don't want it. So Boaz, as the real redeemer, was actually saying, I'm not really that concerned about the real estate. I want the relationship. The real estate comes with the relationship, yes, but it's not the other way around for me. Boaz was focusing on the treasure that was Ruth. He was focusing on reconciling or not reconciling because it wasn't a broken relationship that had existed, but he was focusing on that complete communion with her in a marriage relationship. You can imagine how that would have um, been described. I think it, it probably was described by Ruth through generations. I think that she might have said, boy, that morning, let me tell you to her children or to her grandchildren, maybe to Jesse, the father of David, if, if she lived long enough, we don't know for sure, but if she lived long enough to know her grandson, Jesse, she might have told the story of that morning, waiting, like Naomi had said to her, wait here, because he's not going to let this rest until he settles the matter. And so she wasn't letting it rest either. She was waiting with, with great anticipation. Just imagine what her life uh, might be. She is either, by the end of the day, going to be engaged to the man she really wants to be with, or to somebody who may not even know her and would get her as part of a property deal. So that would be an interesting story to your grandchildren. How'd you guys meet? Well, I came with some land that Grandpa bought. So, I, you know, I, I, I just was thrown in with the deal and he had to take me or he couldn't get the land. So in, in the sense of the person who's at stake, the person who's being bargained for or is part of this negotiation, if, if we had ever been the prize or the consequence of a, of a discussion, how would we feel about that? Well, I think it happened. I think, I think it happened actually many times in, in contexts that maybe we don't think about too much, but one context for that, I think, is found in Matthew chapter 13. On page 819, 
Um, I love musicians who make me think. And this is, again, another musician um, who, who took a, a phrase that's part of a parable I've always understood. I thought I understood it. It reads this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. I've always understood that to mean that when we discover the joy and the glory of salvation, we are willing to surrender everything to have it. And that's an appropriate understanding. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But someone, um, Andrew Peterson has, uh, in, in one of his songs, used a phrase like, um, there once was a man who found him a treasure buried under a tree. He sold all he had just to have it forever. The treasure is you, you see. So he turned it around, and it, it makes sense that way too. Actually, sometimes I think it makes more sense. Because the cost of us being the possession of God was not our cost. It's not us who had to sell everything to be his treasure. He had to give up everything to make us his treasure. And that, that is part of that picture where he prized us more than the field, more than heaven, more than all that he had. He, he sold all he had just to buy us forever. The treasure is you, you see. Another conversation that happened um, in Luke chapter four, this is before Jesus begins his ministry, before he gets into the, the um, relationships with the disciples, before his time of teaching, before the miracles, before um, the cross. The devil seems to have this opportunity to talk with him. Um, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it it will all be yours. Talk about real estate. The devil took him up to see all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't think there's any hint that there wasn't some truth in what the devil was saying. That all this can be yours if you just worship me. And and the, the way uh, the Bible explains that is that the realm of this earth did fall into the authority of the devil under God's sovereignty. I don't want to say the devil has control of everything and, and God can't control him. I'm not saying that, but there is a sense in which in the Garden of Eden, at the time when sin entered the world, that the devil took authority or was given authority over the broken creation that existed after the sin of man. And so that was the condition of the world and is the condition of it now as we exist in it. 
That's the condition of the world that, that the devil presented to Jesus, an unredeemed world. And the brokenness of the relationship with the creator was still the condition. See, so in that sense, the devil is offering to Jesus real estate without the cost of reconciling the relationship. It's going to be very costly for you to fix the brokenness of the relationship. It broke when man rebelled against God in the garden, and it's been broken ever since. Now, you don't have to do that. You can have authority. You can have the kingdoms of the world. As he put it, and again, he's a liar, so was this really true? I don't know, but it certainly is what he offered. When he said, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. So that offer was to shortcut the redemptive work of God and to get the broken glory. What glory was that? What glory was there? What glory is there in this world? The best it can do does not even come close to matching the glory that is God and that, is, that exists in the reconciled relationship between God and his creation. So I think that we were a part of a negotiation just like Ruth was, where Jesus said, no, I want them. I want to know them. I want their heart. I want to commune with them. I want to be reconciled with them and the cost is not more than I am willing to pay. So what did that do? What did the, the redemption of Ruth do in her life? Well, it took her from poverty, even though she was taken care of, even as someone who gleaned in the field, she was taken care of, but only on a day-to-day basis. Uh, She took the grain home after gleaning in the field, but she was using that up and there was no no, um, security of existence except for every day God's going to provide. So she went from poverty now to the wife of a nobleman in Bethlehem with great resources. And in the sense for us, the Bible says, that, and this is in Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent, his, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born after the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. Again, the word redeem comes up, that Jesus came to redeem us, not to be his slaves, not just to be his property. Ruth didn't just become the property of Boaz. She became the bride of Boaz. We become not the slaves of God, going from the slaves of sin to the slaves of God, but the Bible says we become the sons of God, that we are, we are part of the family. We are brought into a relationship. That relationship changes everything so that we don't have to worry, am I going to be good enough 
to make it through the next day? Am I going to be good enough to survive in my relationship with this master, with this nobleman? He's making it permanent. He's making a permanent change in our condition and one that is based not on the day-to-day work that we do, but it is based on the love in his relationship with us. That we're not on a treadmill every day, earning his favor every day, every day, doing something good so that God will um, recognize our goodness and will provide for us and that tomorrow it starts all over and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do enough good that it makes up for my bad. That is not the relationship. The relationship is a family relationship. He calls us his sons and his daughters. He calls us, in another picture, he calls us his bride. The image of of Ruth also tells us that she became a carrier of the gospel. That in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus, she is named as, as one of the ancestors of the Savior. So that in her body was carried the good news the one who would be a blessing to all nations, the one that was promised way back in the garden, the the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, the one that was promised to Abraham that from your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed. The, The gospel message of the Redeemer is now inside of her as she bears the son of, of Boaz who will become the father of Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, who, as as we go down through the lineage, if we would look in Matthew chapter one, we know all those names that are hard to pronounce and and I'm not brave enough to try it, but it comes to the last of of that lineage where it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, As we, the unlikely but treasured bride of Jesus Christ, are called from a very unlikely place through unlikely events, through heartache, sorrow, good times and bad, we are called to be his bride and he has made us that through his choice of a relationship far more than anything material, far more than real estate. He calls us to that, changing our status, making us a messenger of that great news. So that he says of us, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And the treasure that's being referred to is the gospel. We have the gospel in jars of clay so that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So where does that leave us now? This story is, of course, a great story. It's a great love story. It's, it, would, it would make a great uh, storyline for a romantic comedy and, and maybe it, it even mirrors some of them if, if, you, if you like those. But it's, it's not just that. It's not less than that. 
it's, it's even recognized by many people to be great literature in that, in that genre. And yet it is more than that because it brings us into it. Not in the story of humans and their love story. Not just in the story of God's love for Ruth to bring her through all those events to himself. But in the story of the love of a creator for his creation, us, to call us his bride. And we get to tell people that. We get to, we get to tell that story. We get to go out and say exactly those things because they are true. Because all of the, the, the joy and all the excitement of of Ruth knowing how loved she was, is our message to tell to people who wonder if they're lovable, who wonder if there's anybody who cares, who wonder if they were ever the choice of this wonderful groom. That is our privilege. It's a command, but it's a privileged command. Think that Think what that means, that we carry the gospel. Just jars of clay, just just nothing, just something that could be discarded. But we still, by the grace of God and by the mercy of his Holy Spirit, we contain the story of redemption. We live out the story of redemption. Will you pray with me as we conclude? Lord, we praise you that in spite of all difficulty, in spite of all the the cost, in spite of all the mess of the relationship with us, you have chosen to redeem us. You have chosen to set aside the glory of heaven to give up all that you had to come here to find a treasure, to find us as your treasure. Lord, we praise you that in doing that, you have made with us a permanent relationship and that we can rest in that relationship and that more than just resting in that relationship, we have the privilege of declaring the gospel to this world that needs your gospel more than anything. Give us grace to do that. Make us nothing more than jars of clay that hold the precious truth of your redeeming love. In Jesus' name, amen.